Hi, I'm Pastor Dennis Hester, and I want to welcome you as you join First Baptist Watauga in listening to these messages. Whether you're listening uh, on an audio podcast or you're watching on our Facebook page or on YouTube, we're glad that you've joined us. Our heart and desire is that through these messages, you might continue to grow in your faith. We're a church that's committed to God's Word and uh, simply proclaiming the truth of what He says. And so as you join us, I hope that you grow and that you flourish in your faith. I'd also encourage you to make sure that you're plugged into a local body of believers. If you're here in Watauga, we'd love to meet you, that you could join in with us. If you're outside of Watauga, I'd encourage you to find that body of Christ that you can get plugged into. There's nothing that that can substitute for that local uh, relationship as you join with others in worship of our holy God. So welcome. We're glad that you're here to listen and join in. If you would need prayer or you need to be encouraged in some other way, I encourage you to uh, just simply uh, email us, uh, contact us through Facebook, and we'd love to get back with you as soon as we could. God bless you as you listen to God's Word. I'm grateful this morning that I uh, got up and, and had a flush toilet. I'm grateful that I can turn on a faucet and get clean running water, that I had walls on my house. I'm grateful that I have electricity, that I have a refrigerator with food in it, and a pantry with food in it. I'm grateful. Because many of you know, two weeks ago, the Lord took me on a journey with some other pastors to visit Nicaragua. And as I visited some of the Compassion International projects in Nicaragua, I met a little girl named Frances who didn't have a floor in her home. They had a dirt floor. They had a few sticks that held up some pieces of tin. They had one enclosed area where Grandma lived and they cooked. That was the house. It was probably a 10 by 10 space. But most of the family simply uh, slept outside and they had some sheets of corrugated metal that, that they had put a, uh, hammocks in the trees or they slept on the ground. And the, at least the corrugated metal would keep them dry unless the wind was blowing when it was raining. And in fact, the neighborhood that Frances lives in with her grandmother, her mom, her dad and her little sister and cousin is a neighborhood not far outside of uh, Leon, Nicaragua, where the typical houses are constructed with dirt floors, tin walls, and corrugated roofs. The regional diet consists of maize, beans, rice. Common health problems include respiratory disease, diarrhea, and malnutrition. Most adults are unemployed. Many work as day laborers. And the average family income in this community is $37 a month. They're in great need of schools, libraries, vocational training, food, housing. And so, yes, I have a lot to be thankful for. And when we, when we think about how God has richly blessed us. It is so easy for us to lose perspective and realize that literally the majority 
of the people that live around the world do not have clean water or flush commodes, certainly those that are reliable. So as we approach this Thanksgiving season this week, my prayer is that the Lord would remind you daily of all that you have to be grateful for. If you woke up with a roof over your head and four walls around you, you're blessed. If you have food in the refrigerator, even though it may not be the kind that you want to eat right now, maybe you don't have banana pudding or coconut cream pie in the refrigerator, but you've got food in the refrigerator, you're blessed. And truly, we have much, much, much to be thankful for. One of the reasons that I believe that we, as a local body of Christians, a church here in Watauga, Texas, one of the reasons it's important for us to be involved in mission work is because it helps us keep perspective. Today, we're going to be looking at the, 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 the third of three different kind of a mini-series of messages that I've done on three things that, that help define and, and distinguish, kind of set apart in some ways uh, who we are as believers, what we believe the New Testament teaches uh, for New Testament believers. And we, we first talked about the two ordinances. We talked about baptism and the importance of New Testament baptism. You saw that uh, celebrated this morning. Last week, we talked about the Lord's Supper and what we believe the New Testament teaches about the Lord's Supper, who should participate in the Lord's Supper, how we should come with the right heart to the Lord's Supper. Today, we're going to talk about one of the distinguishing marks of, of uh, of the mission of the church, and that is missions. God has called us to be on mission, and, and we're going to talk about what that means to be on mission, and we're going to talk about missions as we define that in a little bit of a broader category. But I think one of the most important reasons for us as a church to keep our eyes on the horizon is it keeps us from being selfish. When we all we see are what's around us, we'll see the new car or the new house or the new boat or whatever the guy living next door to us has, and we, we forget to be thankful for how the Lord has blessed us. And so when we are on mission for the Lord, it keeps our eyes on the horizon, not just in a material way, but in a spiritual way. It helps us to see uh, what's going on out there in the rest of the world and understand the blessings that we have to be a part of God's church. So turn with me to Acts chapter 1. I'm going to verses 7 through 11. It's going to be our primary text today. Acts chapter 1, verses 7 through 11. This is uh, toward the end of Jesus' time on earth. He'd already died. He'd been resurrected. And he had, uh, after he was resurrected, he had engaged in several conversations with his disciples. And this is the last one that Luke records. In fact, uh, most likely the very last words that Jesus gave to his disciples. It's, uh, Matthew records the Great Commission, which we're going to look at also. But in Acts chapter 1, verses 7 through 11, you find uh, this. This is what Scripture says. He said to them, it's not time for you to... I should probably have read chapter uh, verse 6, because they had a question for him. They said, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel at this time? That was his disciples' question as they were standing there with the Lord. And he said, it's not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set on his own authority. But 
You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them, and they said, Men of Galilee, why are you standing here looking up into heaven? The same Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. So let's pause just a moment to pray and ask the Lord to speak to us through his word. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that you help us through, through this text. And as we study your word today, not only to understand our mission, the mission of us as your, your followers, but also how that translates to mission work and moves us out of our comfort zone, out into areas and territories that are difficult for us. Now let your spirit speak. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to understand what the, the picture you get here. Jesus has just given them their last instruction that he's going to give them when he's on earth. And essentially it goes something like this. All right. They're wanting to know about end times theology. They're wanting to know the eschatology. They're wanting to understand some more theology. They're asking good questions, questions that we want to have answered. What's it going to be like when when your kingdom comes? Is this the time that your kingdom's going to come? And, And Jesus doesn't give them all the answers to that. What Jesus tells them is what they need to be doing now what they need to focus on, what their attention needs to be centered on. And so Jesus tells them here's what you got to do. You're going to go back to Jerusalem, and you're going to wait. And then the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out upon you. And once the Holy Spirit is poured out upon you, you're going to go on the mission work. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. And notice he didn't give them their choice. He didn't say, hey, Peter, where do you want to go? Hey, uh, uh, Jude, where, where, which do you want to pick? You want to pick Judea? Or you want to... He didn't give them that. He said, you'll be my witnesses wherever you go. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. So as after he says that, he begins to ascend to heaven. He begins to be taken up into the air, into a cloud. And the disciples are in awe. I imagine, wouldn't you be in awe? And so they're standing there, just looking. I, I read a quote from this week. It popped up on my Facebook page, a memory from 2011. I think that Paul Michael must have been preaching on this text because this sounds like something he would have said. Those of you that heard him preach, you'll understand this. The quote was, the angels looked at the disciples and said, why are you standing here drooling on yourselves? Get busy. Doesn't that sound like what they're doing? They're just looking. Oh my gosh. Where did he go? And they're staring up into the sky. And these two men appear, which angelic beings that appeared as men, you see this oftentimes in scripture, appear and they say, what are y'all doing standing here? Just like he went up in there, he's gonna come back. Essentially what they're communicating to, to the disciples is, you've got a job to do. He gave you your marching orders. He told you what to do. There's no reason to be standing here looking up into the sky. Go and do what he told you to do. And so ultimately, 
The disciples then, they go back to Jerusalem, and just as Jesus has said, a few days later, the Holy Spirit is poured out upon them after they're spending time in prayer in Jerusalem. So I want to look at three things. He says, uh, you're going to be my witnesses. What is our mission? Now, I'm going to put it this way. What is the mission of the church? Now remember, the church is not this organizational structure. The church is... You and you and me and Kevin and Stephen and Matthew and, and, and even Helen. You're the church. We're the church. And so what is the mission of the church? The mission of the church is to be my witnesses. To declare the truth of who Jesus is to everyone who needs to hear it. Now, let me back off that for just a second. Who needs to hear the mission who needs to hear who Jesus is? Everyone. <laughs> so our, our, our job is to declare who Jesus is, to be his witnesses, to tell the truth about who Jesus is. That's our mission. Now, Jesus defined that in, in, in a little bit of a different way in what we know as the Great Commission in Matthew uh, chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, when he says and tells the disciples that I'm going to be leaving, here's your job, go. Baptize, or make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all of the things that I've taught you. So if you want a little bit more structure, some of us would say, well, what's it mean to be a witness? What, what it means to be a witness is go and tell people about Jesus, make disciples. You tell them about what he has done for you. You tell, him about, tell people about what God's word says he's done for the world. You tell them about how Jesus died on a cross, how he rose again. And you tell them about how they can follow Jesus. So you go and you make disciples. Our mission for every single person who has chosen to follow Jesus as Savior, we all have the same mission, is to be witnesses into what Christ has done for us. Right? Go, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all things that I've showed you. That's what Jesus told us to do. So when he calls us to be his witnesses, that's our job. Now, one of the things that you and I don't have to wait on is we don't have a 10-day waiting period from the time that Jesus gave the orders until the Holy Spirit comes. That was a, a one-time waiting period for the early church because the Holy Spirit had not been poured out upon the church yet. Had not been, he had not been poured out upon those believers yet. If you have confessed Christ as your personal Lord and Savior and you are a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit already empowers you. 2 Peter 1.3 says that in Jesus he has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. What else do you need to be an effective witness for Jesus Christ? Nothing except for a relationship with Jesus Christ. You heard Dr. Queen say it when he was preaching the revival. I've heard him say it many times. If you know enough of the gospel to be born again, you know enough of the gospel to share the gospel. If you know enough... To know Jesus is your personal Savior, that's all you need to know to tell somebody about Jesus who saved you. So there's no excuses. Our mission is to be witnesses to Christ, period. 
But how does this translate to missions? Because when we talk about our mission as a church or as an individual believer, we don't always connect that to missions. In fact, in our terminology, we tend to think of a mission project or mission work as going outside of our local body of believers. And ultimately, I want you to see the definition. Essentially, I believe a good structural definition of missions is right here in this text. He tells the disciples, you will be my witnesses at home, okay? You're going to be my witnesses right here where you live. We have to start where we're planted. I'd seen a couple of the, those memes this last week. In fact, I've seen hundreds of those memes. I've about seen all I want of that lady arguing with a cat. And if you're on social media, you've seen the lady arguing with a cat. And some of them I just roll my eyes at. But there were a couple of them that really struck me. One of them touched a nerve in somebody, I think, because one of them said, uh, you want to go on a mission trip, but you won't serve in the church nursery. <laughs> We, sometimes we want to do big things for God, but we're unwilling to do the little things that he's called us to here. And I'll be real honest with you. If you're not willing to, make, I'm not saying if you're not able, but I'm saying if you're not willing to stack chairs, to serve in the nursery, to teach a, a Sunday school class, or maybe even just listen to children in Awanas recite their verses, if you're not willing to do that here, you don't need to be trying to do it where you're gonna truly be under the attack of the enemy. And those of you that have been out in Peru or, or other places trying to serve, you understand what I'm talking about. Our mission begins here, right now, right here. In fact, I, I, I'll put in a plug because one of the greatest outreach efforts that we have uh, from the heart of this church is to take care of children in Wataga who come from truly needy families. There's, a, there's an association called Christmas Providers that works with the individual schools and individual nurses and counselors in, in these individual elementary schools identify children that are truly needy. And once they identify them, they give them a piece of paper to take home to their parents to sign up for help at Christmas. And once they, once they fill out that form, that form comes back. Our church years ago made the decision to connect with that ministry and say, we want to take on the children from the Watauga Elementary Schools. And that's when we talk about sharing Christmas and you have an opportunity to adopt children. What you're doing is you're meeting the needs of those children and you're sharing the love of Christ with them. And then on that upcoming Saturday in early December, we will gather up here and we will take boxes of food, frozen turkeys and, and gifts, and we will deliver into those homes. We'll pray with those families and we'll do everything that we can to let them know how much Jesus loves them. That's local mission work, okay? That is fulfilling step one, so to speak, or the first part of this command from Christ. And we're gonna be his witnesses and we wanna go talk about what Jesus has done for us and we wanna go share what Jesus has done for us. Now, it doesn't just happen at Christmas. It's something that we ought to be doing every day. We ought to be reaching out in our community every week, whether we're at work or, or, or around our home or wherever it happens to be. But we're to be his witnesses right here. They were in Jerusalem. And so the place that the mission work was supposed to begin, they were begin to witness in Jerusalem. But they weren't supposed to stay there. And in our institutionalized Western churches, our problem is we have tied together our mission of outreach to the community with church growth. 
And our goal has far too often been tainted by a desire to grow our organization, increase our budget, build bigger or nicer buildings. And so church growth mentality has infiltrated it so that just like we have in many ways ruined Christmas with commercialization and materialization, we also are in jeopardy of damaging our witness in the mission that God's called us to to the local community. What if, what if God calls you or calls us as a church to a ministry that the person on the other end of that ministry could not do a single thing for us, would not add to the church, would not add to the budget. Is it still worth it? Absolutely. See, that's, that's truly what it means to have the heart of God. You know, that's what God did through Jesus. What is there that I could add to his kingdom? What did he need that he couldn't get from somewhere else, but he needed to get it from me? Nothing. He doesn't need me. He sits on a throne outside of the universe, owns the universe, controls it all. He doesn't need me. But he sent his son to die on a cross for me, to offer me a gift that I could not repay. Right? God's called us to be his witnesses by doing for others what he did for us. To show grace and mercy and love and kindness and to take care of people that could never repay. Local missions, our Jerusalem. But I believe that this passage, Acts 1-8, serves as a good model for us as a church when we, when we begin to think, okay, if we're to be witnesses in our Jerusalem, how do we minister in our Judea, our Samaria, our uttermost part of the world? I believe God's called us as a body of believers to keep our eyes on the horizon so that we, we get outside of ourselves, get outside of our local community, outside of our comfort zone, and we serve in other areas. Now, I've often heard this, and, and I'm, this is a little bit of a, Oh, I don't know the word for it. It's, it's a model that you can put in your head. But if our local area right here in Watauga, Watauga, Haltom City area, that, that's our Jerusalem, then how would we define our Judea? I, I would suggest it would be our county or our state. We're going outside of ourselves and we're beginning to minister to people that are further out from us. And so we can, we can serve at the Tarrant County Food Bank. Uh, we can serve in Houston at a... Uh, uh, helping to, to rebuild homes. Uh, uh, there's all kinds of ways that we can reach outside of our local community and begin to serve, and that lifts our eyes from ourselves and our little area here, and it picks our eyes up a little bit, and we're at least seeing people outside of our comfort zone, outside of our area. We, we begin to serve in our state. And then third, our Samaria. I, I would equate that to the United States, our country, or maybe even North America. The way that the Southern Baptist Convention divides up their, their mission work is we have state missions. So our focus on 
Texas, and then you have North American missions, which uh, the way they define it is the United States and Canada, and basically where you have the same language, where you can speak the language. And so uh, national missions would be our Samaria. So we can begin to think then, okay, Lord, how can I minister and how can I, I plug in and, and serve you outside of my state and step out of that comfort zone? How can we as a church connect with maybe another church or a needy place in North America? In the past, we as a church have done that in several ways. We helped uh, work two years in a row uh, preparing a camp in the mountains, the Black Hills of South Dakota that was uh, owned by First Baptist Church Custer. And we'd go up there and, and work on that camp to get it ready for the upcoming camp season, evict squirrels out of the attics and rebuild uh, eaves and several things like that. Our men have taken that kind of trip. We, we worked in, in New Orleans. Uh, our youth have worked in Arkansas. And so what that does is that begins to stretch us and it lifts our eyes a little bit more out on the high horizon and begins to remind us that God has a people who he loves that he wants us to minister to and be witnesses to outside of our state. And then ultimately, he tells the disciples, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. You're going to go wherever there are people whom I love. <laughs> I want you to go be my witnesses out there. I believe that God has called us as a church body, just like he has many other churches, to have this Acts 1-8 vision where we don't keep our eyes focused on ourselves, but we look to the horizon. And there's so many good things that God does in us even when we're obedient to do that. That's where we truly get to see people that are unlike us who need Jesus desperately. We have a lot of ways that you can do this. There's a lot of ways that every single church member can be involved. And in fact, I, I want to answer this question. So we've, we've asked that question, what is, what, what is our mission? What do we mean by missions? And what I mean by missions, when I say that as a pastor at First Baptist Church of Otaga, missions is local, regional, or statewide, national, and international. Well, how can I get involved in all of that? Well, you can be involved in all of it in various ways. You may not ever go to Nicaragua or India, but God can use you right here. He can use you in Texas, and he can use you in other ways. So the, the next question that I would ask <laughs> comes out of the, the question asked in Acts chapter 1, verse 9. When they're standing around, they're looking up into the sky, and basically the, the angelic beings look at the disciples and say, why are you standing around? If God has given you a mission, and he's called you to be his witness, to make disciples in Jerusalem, ultimately Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world, why are you standing around? Why aren't you being obedient? And here's where you need to ask that question. Why am I standing around. Has God given you, has he put a call on your life to serve him locally? Maybe in our state? Maybe to go outside of that to our nation? Or maybe he's called you to go to the ends of the earth. Or maybe he's called you in some way to go do all of them. If so, well, let me, let me, let me back up for just a second. And I'm going to say, unequivocally, without question, he has called you to be on mission. Every one of us. He has called us. 
In one way or another, he has called us. If you are not serving him in some way, the question of the angels applies to you. Why are you standing around? He's given you your marching orders. I don't know how many times I have people pose this question to me. Pastor, I don't know what God's will for my life is. You know what I'd like to do? I'd like to take a hatchet and chop off those last few words and say, for my life. Because I can tell you what God's will is. God's will is that you go make disciples. That's God's will. Absolutely no question about that. God's will is that you be his witness Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. That's God's will for you. If you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, his will is that you're on mission for him. When you get up every day, you, you connect with your leader, and you ask the Lord, what do you have today? What's my assignment today to fulfill your will? What am I to be about? What do I need to be doing to fulfill your will? And if you're not doing it, the question remains, why are you standing around? So what are some ways that we can fulfill his will? First of all, recognize this. Everybody who has chosen to follow Christ has been given that same mission, to be his witnesses. Every single one of us are called to be witnesses. We are, none of us are without a mission. <laughs> none of us are without a job. We're called to be witnesses for Christ. How do we do that? Well, I'm gonna suggest various ways. Some... It, 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 are called to go. Some are called to, to leave their home, to, to pack up their families, and to move overseas. Some are called to go live in South Africa and, and be missionaries in South Africa. I have a, a good friend who I went to college with who was a pastor, a very successful pastor in the United States, and God called him to sell his house, leave his church, not connected to any national, a mission board, move to Vietnam and be a witness for Christ in Vietnam. I won't tell you his name because Vietnam is on one of the top 10 most dangerous places to be a Christian. <laughs> but he is faithfully serving Jesus, working in orphanages, uh, teaching English language in, in uh, corporations where he can get an end to share the, his faith. Some people are called to go. Some people aren't. Some people aren't called to go to that extent. Some of us are called to go to our neighbors. Some of us are called to, to even come up here to a building and, and serve Awana children. We're all called to serve, though. Some are called to give. I was going to, this, this subject came up last Sunday night at our family meeting. Uh, on the little envelopes, the giving envelope, there's a, there's a line item called WEMO. And a lot of people don't know what that is. It's been on there for a long time. And what, what WEMO stands for is World Impact Missions Offering. And the reason it's there, uh, there's really two reasons. One, there was a time when, when the, as a church, uh, years ago, we were kind of minimizing the, the missions offerings. Next uh, month is going to be Lottie Moon Mission Offering. That's a Southern Baptist mission offering where every penny that you give goes to international missions. We'll talk about that a little bit beginning next week. It's always around Christmas. And, uh, and yet, uh, the church wasn't talking about the major mission offerings a lot at that point. And so what they did is they established this WEMO fund where you could give to that fund and that money went to mission work. And the, the church voted last week to define how much went where. So 40% that's given to that line item goes to international missions. 30% goes to North American missions. Uh, 
20% goes to uh, the state missions, and then 10% goes into a fund so that when our folks go out, like when they went to Houston or, or when they went to, to Arkansas uh, on mission work, that money helps go support that. And so when you give to that WEMO fund, you are supporting missions. You're directly, intentionally choosing to support missions. So if you gave $10 to that WEMO fund once a month, then a percentage of that is going to go to international missions, a percentage is going to go to state, national, and some not to, to the local work right here, but when our folks go out to do mission work somewhere. So be aware of that. The other, there's another way that we as a church give. For every undesignated gift that's given, we believe that God's called us as his people to tithe. I tithe out of my own personal income. We tithe out of Susan's income. We bring the first tenth to the storehouse so that God can use it for his glory, for his purposes. We as a church believe that God's called us to give a tenth, 10% of all of our tithes. So when you give your tithe, it all gets collected. In our budget, we have a line item that 10% of it goes to support the cooperative program, which is the Southern Baptist mission effort. That helps support the seminaries, so that our young men who are growing up here come to faith in Christ and want to be trained, they can go to seminary and help get training. Uh, it, it goes to support mission work around the world. It goes to support uh, literature that's put out. And so our church gives to missions out of every dollar that comes in that's undesignated, 10% of that, or so 10 cents, goes to to missions. And so we believe it's in the fabric of who we are as a congregation. We believe God has called us not only to go, but to give, to support his mission work. I've preached on it before from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul took up particular offerings just for mission work. And, and it's the model that we see in the New Testament. But especially, let's back off of that for just a moment, especially, especially, especially folks, when we are as blessed as we are. I'm going to be introducing to the church over the next couple months an opportunity for us as a church to make a new international missions connection. For years, we were connected to a work in Peru. And Quentin and Gina Roberts have come and spoke at our church. Quentin's preached here. Uh, they were IMB missionaries in Lima, Peru. And God blessed our church and blessed that work in Lima, Peru through that effort as we connected with them on an international mission effort. Our church hasn't had a direct international connection to a mission work in the last four or five years. There's, there's some reasons why that happened. I won't detail all of those. A, a large part of it just simply because we, we started to connect with India, and India closed the doors to Christian missionaries. Flushed out most of the Christian missionaries that are there. India, in fact, kicked Compassion International out of India, where Compassion International is there taking care of the poorest of the poor children. They got kicked out of India because they were sharing the gospel with them. And so we've been praying for years, Lord, what would you have us do? Now, I, I'm not one who just wants to check a box and say, well, we gotta have this international mission effort, so we better do something. That's not who I am. So we've prayed, and we've prayed, and we've prayed. And the Lord opened the door for me to go to Nicaragua and, and opened my eyes to see a way that we as a church can connect. Here's the bottom line of what it's going to boil down to. One of the first things that we're going to do is you're going to have an opportunity as a family to sponsor a child. That's child sponsorship helps pay for a tutor, 
so that they, they get tutored at least two days a week. They stay in school and their education is elevated. Uh, it's, it helps pay for food and food supplements to help take care of that child. It, it connects them with a local church where they receive over 400 hours of discipleship per year, where the average American evangelical child gets 40 hours of discipleship a year. And it, it, they make sure that that kid is developing socially and in their connections with other children. It provides them an opportunity to play, which is so important because many of these kids spend their life on the street begging, and they don't have a chance to play. $38 is what it's going to cost a month if you choose to sponsor a child. It's a big commitment. It's, it's a lot out of a family's budget oftentimes. And yet I recognize that if Susan and I were to go out to eat at a sit-down restaurant today, that one meal would take care of a child for a month. God has given us opportunities. He has blessed us. We're the poorest of the poor in our nation. Don't live like the kids that I saw in Nicaragua. And Compassion International only serves the poorest of the poor. So when you're working with compassion, you're dealing with families that maybe the highest total I've seen was a community in Nicaragua where the families were living off of $103 a month. Wow, they were rich, weren't they? $103 a month to feed, provide clothing, housing for your family. God has blessed us. And for those who can't go, he certainly has blessed us so that we can give. I don't know how many families, there were still eight children before Sunday school this morning that needed to be adopted for our sharing Christmas program. I don't know how many are still out there. Seven? Seven children that still need to be sponsored. Uh, I challenge y'all to let's take care of those seven today and make sure that they're sponsored. That's our local mission. And then finally, it doesn't matter if you're laid up in a hospital bed. You can pray for the kingdom of God. Jesus gave us a model of prayer. And in that model, you hear his heart for missions. <laughs> when he says, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pray for the kingdom of God to be pressed out in your local area, your state, your nation, and around the world. I remember a, a little lady at May who had cancer and she was, her body was withering away, but she glowed with the spirit of God. And she told me that she was praying for me. She was praying for God's work to be done. And I guarantee you that that lifted me up because I knew, I knew that Mary was praying. Finally, I want to close with this. How, must, how should I respond? I want to give you the simplest of first responses. And it comes from what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Paul said in Romans 1, 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first, and then to the Greek. Our first response is to be bold and to stand on and declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. We live in a nation 
that that's becoming more difficult. It's not hard. It's becoming more difficult. We get mocked. We don't get our heads chopped off, okay, for declaring the gospel. There were three pastors in, in a southern African country this week who were beheaded for preaching the gospel. We don't face that kind of persecution. We have no excuse when we act like we're ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. How do I respond? To be a witness to what Jesus has done, to not be ashamed of the gospel. Let me tell you a story of a man that I met last, second to last evening I was in, in Nicaragua. He uh, came back to where our team was in a hotel and had a meal with us. The pastor's name was, was Justo, or Justo, uh, J-U-S-T-O. I, my Spanish is not great. But he had, uh, he didn't grow up in the church. He was 35 years old when his wife convinced him to start going to church. And, and at 35 years old, he accepted Christ as his Savior. And God began to do a work in his life. He ran a business in Managua, one of the, the bigger cities of Nicaragua, uh, that was a bakery that he, had, he and his wife had, had kind of taken over for her parents. And it was a very successful business. On average, they would bake bread and rolls. And they, they used 500 pounds of flour per day in their bakery business, which that, that sounds like a lot of bacon to me. Uh, but they were very successful. They lived a comfortable life, lived in a nice home in Nicaragua. And as he began to grow in his faith, he began to sense God calling him to ministry. Well, he didn't know anything about ministry, and he was arguing with God, and didn't wanna, he didn't want to do it. And then his pastor began to talk to him about it and say, I believe God's calling you to ministry. And so they began to pray together. And so, he, well, where would I go? What would I do? I'm not a pastor. I don't know what I would do. And, and he began to grow in his faith, and his pastor continued to disciple him. And four years ago, that church in Managua that he was attending uh, was going to launch a mission church out in one of the poorest of the poor areas. And this pastor came to him and said, so I believe God's calling you to pastor that church. And he began to pray about it, and he knew that God was calling him. But at 48 years old, he had to leave his business, leave his comfortable home with very little financial support, move out toward the Pacific Ocean in this small community where the poorest of the poor lived, and begin to knock on doors to tell people about Jesus, living under a lean-to in a lady's backyard with a piece of tin. Now, he's married, <laughs> and so it wasn't just Husto that received that call, but his wife received that call to leave their children, their grandchildren, and their business. They talked about how the rainy season lasted in Nicaragua for five months at a time, and they stayed wet all the time. They, they, they never had a dry night's sleep during the rainy season because they were in a lean-to. Somebody had let them sleep in their backyard while the, and the wind would blow and anytime the wind would blow they'd get wet. A year, a year after they were out there sharing the gospel, knocking on doors, now they're 49 years old, still living in the lean-to. A pastor from Bastrop, Texas comes on a Compassion International Vision trip and feels God calling his church to help sponsor that church plant. Now, this will kind of blow you away. It's a lot of money, and this is not the direction God's calling us yet, I don't believe. 
but to sponsor a church plant and launch a Compassion International program, it requires a, a startup cost of about $77,000. Out of that $77,000, they build a sanctuary, three Sunday school rooms, a kitchen, and two bathrooms. How much did it cost us to remodel the nursery area? So with their church, their church was in a building program. And so they tied their budgets together. They said for every dollar that's given to our one and a half million dollar building program, a percentage of that is going to go to the mission work. The people at his church began to get more excited about the money that was coming in for the mission church than they were about their church. Well, Nicaragua went through a difficult time politically during that. And so it took, instead of taking about a year to get that church built, it took three years. In the meantime, after about a year there, the pastor finally kind of got the church on its feet and they started meeting in a community center. Now, a community center is smaller than the most of our homes, okay? But they're meeting in a community center. And, and I asked the pastor, I said, well, did you find a place, did you get a place where you could sleep? Well, yeah, we could sleep in the community center. But see, the community center is really more like an outdoor tabernacle. I said, well, did you stay dry at night? No, when, when the rain blew in, we still got wet. <laughs> So for the next two years, they're, they're living in the community center where, in a little room of it where they're having church services and they launch their Compassion International program where they begin to minister to 150 children, feeding them and making sure they're clothed and providing a tutor for them. We met a, a family, a young couple. We were talking to them about when they met. They were, couldn't have been more than 23 years old, right in that range. And they said, well, we've been together five years. Their child was five, and he'd been in the compassion program for the last couple of years. We've been together five years, but we've only been married for one since we got born again. Because of that church that was ministering to them, who didn't even have a building at the time. And so, eventually... They were able to get their building built, and that's the building we got to visit. The pastor from Bastrop was on the trip with us. For the first time ever, he got to see the building that they were invested in. That guy wept like a baby. I wept like a baby watching him weep like a baby. <laughs> pastor Husto was elated. For four years, he's had a vision and a dream to plant this church. Still lives in a place where he gets wet at night. But he's overjoyed with the work that God's doing through him. He started when he was 48. He's 52 now. I'm 52. And it really struck a chord with me. Would I be willing now to leave my comfortable home, to move away from my children, to move away from my family, to leave the life that I know and go live somewhere where I'm sleeping under two pieces of corrugated tin with a dirt floor getting wet every night it rains to tell people about Jesus. But there's people west of Lyon that will spend eternity in heaven because he was obedient to the call. What are we doing standing around? There's people in Wataga. If they were to die today, they're going to spend eternity separated from Christ in hell. What are we doing standing around? God has given us our mission. We don't have to ask. We don't have to wonder. He's called us to missions. And he's given us multiple ways 
that we can get involved in his kingdom purpose and his kingdom growth. Something that will last forever. And yet, we end up spending our far too much of our time and far too much of our material wealth on things that aren't going to last past the grave. That's what it boils down to. That are not going to make a difference when we take our last breath on this earth. Our mission is to make an eternal difference as God uses us. Why are you standing around when you have an opportunity to do something to follow the call of God? I want you to stand with me. And I'm going to ask you during this time, if God's calling you to come pray at the altar, you come pray. Maybe God has called you to a particular mission in our area, in our nation, in our world. And you just need to come and and lay it at the altar and say, yes, Lord, I'm going to follow you. I'm tired of standing around. I'm sick and tired of standing around. I want to follow you. This is your chance to respond. If you need to come pray, if you need to come talk to Kevin or I, But most importantly, if you'd say, Pastor, if I were to die today, I don't know that I'd go to heaven because I've never followed Christ as my Lord and Savior. I've never followed through in baptism. I need to be obedient to him. If that's where you are today, this, this time of response is for you. You come now.